Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word that it never turns back void. <clears throat> thank you, Lord, that you love us so much, God. Um, like that song, At the Cross, Lord. Lord, you've taken so much. I love that other song, Lord, um, that we can take fear and it can go to hell, Lord, and our insecurities, Lord, and all the things, Lord, of our flesh and the world and the things that tell us that we're bad or, or not good enough really is what I'm saying, Lord. I pray that you would just help us with those things, that we would just recognize who we are in you, Lord, that we are a new creation in you, in Jesus, that you give us opportunity, Lord, to, to be transformed, Lord, from the inside out, Lord, and that you do that work in us, God. And thank you, Father, for uh, the text that we're going to be looking at today, Lord, with continuing in um, Acts as we look at Saul's life, Lord, and how you transformed him and the dynamics that went on with the disciples and different things and, and the discouragement that he must have felt, Lord. And Lord, I just pray for those of us who, are, who feel discouraged, Lord God, that you would just... Um, you would help us, God. We need, we need to rely upon you and that you would show us what that looks like, Lord. Um, I lift up all the other churches in the community, God, that you would just um, give boldness to their leadership, Father, and that you would um, just draw them to you in such a way, Lord, that, uh, that people would see Jesus in, in churches, Lord, or that they would hear your word. I pray, Lord, that you would draw people unto salvation, God. Um, Lord, thank you for the glorious work that you're doing in our lives. And Lord, I pray that um, you would just uh, just remove me from the equation, Lord. Um, that what you want to speak today through your word, Lord, would just stand and anything else would just fall away, God. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear from you today. Um, that uh, none of us, myself included, Lord, would leave this place, Lord, or those online listening, Lord, watching, or even those that catch a podcast later or video later on, God, that that we wouldn't miss out on what you have to speak to us today, Lord. Just thank you for your power, your strength. May you be honored and glorified today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. These batteries are gonna, I don't know, I need to put them somewhere. I was one of those kids in class that was easily distracted and it, all of that hasn't gone away as an adult. 47 years old, you'd think I'd still be able to learn to stay focused by somehow now. <clears throat> Yes, absolutely. My wife and I will be driving and I'll be like, look at that car. And she's like mid-sentence and I'm supposed to be connecting with her. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Wasn't it cool though? She's like, what happened? I do that with people. It's, it's really bad. So, so today um, we're gonna just uh, read through the text. We're gonna be in Acts chapter nine, verse 23 through 31. Last week we covered when um, Saul took a trip ordained by the Lord to Arabia for an unspecified time um, and that he learned directly from Jesus pertaining to the gospel. Saul kind of had to get rewired to be able to do the ministry that God called him to. And that's what God does with all of us. He captures our heart and mind through salvation and starts to rewire us to live for him and do things differently than we normally did or what we pursued before. So it's just amazing being able to see this transformative account of this man named Saul. Later on, we'll see his name is Paul. We'll catch on to that when the Lord changes his name. But today, um, we are going to be looking at what happened to Saul when he came back from his trip uh, to Arabia, when he came back to Damascus. So 
Uh, I'm going to read the text, and then we'll break it apart verse by verse, and there's some other scripture that the Lord's kind of sown into this message. So Acts chapter 9, verse 23. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So there's a, there's a, a couple of things we need to take a look at here. It's very fascinating what, what happened with Saul, you know. He, and and the, 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 uh, I, I want you to listen to the theme of this message. Hopefully this translates. As, as I was preparing, I, I just had this picture of, of, of Saul going and being transformed by the Lord, being used mildly by God, actually, after his baptism, going off into Arabia, walking with the Lord personally, uh, uh, incarnate Jesus, and, and being taught, and then coming back, and, and he must have felt discouraged. He must have felt some sort of disconnect because he comes back, and right away, we see the first verse, 23 now, after many days were passed, and that's speaking of Paul's separation when he went on his trip and he came back. So it was many days. So it wasn't one day, it wasn't two weeks, it was a long time, and he comes back. And then and the next time here, the scripture gives us that the Jews plotted to kill him. So right away, Paul's life was at stake because of his choice to serve Jesus, because of his choice to follow the Lord, because of the calling upon his life. And in the midst of this discouragement that I'm sure that that that, that he experienced, we'll see here as we look through scripture how the Lord encouraged him, not only by the Holy Spirit, but also by those that were around him. Remember who Saul was. He was a murderer of Christians. He was uh, on a trajectory given uh, papers by the ruling government at the time and the religious system to go and actually pursue any Christian he possibly could in every single place of worship and, and persecute them. And that was his agenda. And then he experiences this transformation of the Lord and he goes and learns from Jesus and now he becomes this person who's hunted. So like I mentioned, Saul had gone to Arabia, returned to Damascus, and this was the many days. Just like Jesus that brought the truth to the Jews, to his people, and the Jews tried to silence Jesus by killing him. They tried to silence him, that was the purpose. They didn't wanna hear about him anymore. They, they didn't believe that he was the Messiah, and so they did away with him, so they thought. 
And so just like Saul, we see here, he brings the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happens? They want to get rid of him. In our lives, when somebody brings truth to our lives and our hearts are hardened, we tend to do away with them and not listen. And that's exactly what the Jewish people did. They didn't want to hear what Saul had to say. May we always, it's important, you guys, may we always be moldable and teachable by the Lord. Let us always be willing to hear from God. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says this, and this is David writing, the psalmist, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. That's such an important thing for us to understand that when we pray, we need to ask God, search me, because he knows us. He knows our heart. He knows what's inside of us. He knows what goes on beyond us. He knows how our life interacts with people. He knows all these things, and we need to go to him in a trusting way and say, search me, O God, and know my heart. So the psalmist says, search me and know me. Try me. In other words, see if there's anything inside of me that's not of you. He says, and know my anxieties. And that word there is know my thoughts, know the, the, the things of my life. I think it's interesting in New King James that it uses that word anxiety. How many of us deal with anxieties pertaining to bills and relationships and all sorts of things in our life? And how many times do we actually do what Psalm says here? And it's important that we take into account what happened in Saul's life. I have to believe that because the Lord had captured him, that he became dependent upon Jesus, even in this very, very beginning of his ministry. And as we continue through scripture, we'll see the intensity of what went on in Saul's life. So the psalmist continues and says, and see, verse 24, if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. A lot of times we can say, well, you know, maybe that's somebody who does something really bad, but God's word says that our heart is wicked beyond all recognition and who shall know its ways but God alone. And so, you know, I don't have a, I'm sorry, even though, I'm, you know, I don't have a good heart. My heart is desperately wicked. I'm always in, it, it, I'm always faced with my sin nature and, and the nature of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And there's this war always going on. The minute I wake up, it's crazy. Lately, the minute I wake up, there's just horrible thoughts that go in my mind and I have to start praying and praying and re reset my brain for the day. And so, we, and so we always have to have this attitude of willingness to be teachable by the Lord and also be teachable by others. And if we're not softened by the Lord, if we don't have this attitude of prayer and this attitude of, Lord, search me, help me, Lord, because really this prayer that, that we see here from the psalmist in 139, it's really a cry of God, you know better, will you please help me understand? That's really what he's saying. So we have to have that mindset, that attitude. It's so important because honestly, I have no idea how to decipher what's right and wrong in my life sometimes. So we'll see here what happened with Saul's life. And so this should, like I mentioned, this should always be our attitude and prayer. We should always be sensitive to that. I know it seemed kind of like a little rabbit trail out of, you know, Acts 9, 23, verse 30, 23. But I just, you know, as Saul brought truth, the gospel, the people didn't want to hear. And it's important for us to be soft so that we can hear. Acts 9, 24 and 25 says this, but their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. They, then the disciples 
took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Now, it's very important to understand. These aren't the disciples that walked with Christ. These weren't the 12. These were disciples that, that actually followed Paul. Paul had this ministry that occurred in Damascus. He went away and came back. There were believers that listened to him when he, excuse me, started preaching from the very beginning. And so there is these followers of Paul, Saul, sorry, I get it mixed up. I can't wait till actually his name turns into Paul and Acts. I won't have to worry about it anymore. So, so these weren't the 12 disciples. It wasn't those people. These were followers of Christ that actually were believers that, that weren't against Saul. And it's interesting for us to note here that there was this, this, this active, you ever seen a, a movie where, you know, um, the criminal, it, or even if they're not even a criminal, but they're trying to escape and all the cop cars are going and they block off the streets and they block off the bridges and, and everybody's on you know, watch and their faces on all the computers and the airplane places and the, and, the, and the train stations. And so that's what was going on with Saul here. And, and we can get some insight to this because when, he, so he wrote about this experience in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 32 through 33. And it says this in 2 Corinthians eleven thirty-two through 33, and this is Paul writing about his experience in more detail. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus, I'm sorry, of Damascus with a garrison desiring to arrest me. So those that were wanting to kill Saul had absolute authority from the king to shut the city down. And this was his experience after he came back, walked with the Lord. And how is that in our lives where we, we go on a high, you know, we're, we're off in the distance, we're, we're seeking the Lord on our own and we come back and right away there's this opposition to us. And so this is what he was experiencing. And praise the Lord, he had these friends of his that believed that he was walking, that he was an actual disciple, that he'd literally given his life to the Lord, that he was changed, that he wasn't gonna kill them. Verse 33 says this in 2 Corinthians 11, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. And so again, um, when we get into Corinthians one day, we'll look at that, that, that Paul is giving an account to who he was and what he experienced because he was standing up as a testimony for who he was as a believer. But this whole thing with Saul's life about you know, the Jews wanted to kill him and then he's here trying to, he's escaping for his life. This, this sets the tone of what his life actually is going to be like. He was in prisons, he was shipwrecked. His life was horrible physically. There were so many things that he experienced, but yet he pursued the kingdom of God in a passionate way because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the calling on his life. He was super focused on what God had called him to do. So we see here that Saul had come back to Damascus. This was his second visit, which occurred after being in Arabia, like I mentioned, for some time. The Jews plotted to kill him. He escaped in the evening in a basket. How many of you guys have ever been in a basket? Not me. You know, they didn't have buckets then, so it was a woven basket. Um, it's interesting you say, well, what do you mean let down through a window? So back then, um, you would have um, dwellings that were actually built into the wall of the city. And so they would have a window actually in the wall. And so most likely this was the type of home that, that Saul was hiding in with believers and they let him down in a basket out of the city 
in an outer window in an outer wall of Damascus at the time. We don't have those nowadays in our day and age, but you know, we have an apartment complex over here. It'd be just like somebody letting somebody down at a basket out of the apartment window here. So Saul, he, like I mentioned, he did have followers. Um, even though he was still persecuted, uh, the man that, 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 that was persecuted, the man that persecuted and murdered became the persecuted and hunted. It's interesting. Saul's life flipped. Right away in Saul's life, we see how he would be treated all throughout his ministry, like I mentioned. Back to Acts, Acts chapter 9, 26 and 27. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, so now we see that he left Damascus at night out of the basket, he traveled to Jerusalem, and he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them, how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to them and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so we see here, he escapes death by night in this basket, traveling Jerusalem to Jerusalem, looking to join the disciples. And what does he find there in Jerusalem? He finds rejection. Man, what a life going from power and stature to nothing and being rejected. What a humble place. What a humble place this man was in when he was back in the beginning of Acts when he was part of the martyr of, of Stephen and, and, and he was in this power and he had authority and he could do anything he wanted. Extremely educated. Extreme, like th this, this glowing uh, up person in, 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 in religiosity and Judaism, and yet now his whole, the whole demeanor of, of Saul's life has totally changed, radically changed. And really, if you think about it, his life is put into a place of being dependent upon the power of Jesus so that he can actually live his life. Isn't that how we are? We live in America where we gather comfort around us and, we, and, and, and our lives are, 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 are built around what's comfortable for us or built around what we can do or built around what we think is necessity for us. And really we need to be building our life around what God has called us to be. We need to be building our life around the word of God and we need to be building our life around the Holy Spirit empowering us and then everything else will fall into line. God's word says it, There's a scripture that came to my heart and it just went away and it's okay. It'll come back. That if, if, if we seek the kingdom of heaven first, all these things will be added unto us. And, and we kind of lose that in our society. And then, we, and then we get frustrated when all these things happen in our life. And I'm not talking about certain things. I just mean in general. Are we really leaning on the Lord in our lives? So we see this picture here also uh, as he escaped and he, and he gets to Jerusalem and, he, and, and right away he wants to become part of the disciples. He's fleeing here and he says, hey, here's the believers. I gotta be part of them because that's who I am. And he gets this rejection because they're afraid of him. And then there's Barnabas. 
Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. See here how the disciples, they judge Saul for his past and maybe rightly so, being afraid of him. I mean, like I mentioned, you know, he was seeking to persecute the church and he was instrumental in Stephen's murder. And they see Saul coming like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't believe that you're part of us. We don't, we don't want to have anything to do with that. You can say whatever you want, but we don't believe that. And so we see Barnabas here and he assists Saul. He comes alongside of Saul and encourages the disciples to see Saul for who he is now, transformed and standing for the truth of God, not Saul the destroyer. And in our lives personally, we need Barnabases in our lives. We need people to come alongside of us and encourage us. I do, I need encouragement. My wife's my encouragement. There's other people in my life that I, that I share my life with and I get encouragement from. Sometimes that encouragement can be, hey, Brian, you're doing something wrong. Other times, hey, Brian, you're thinking wrong, so you, but you're actually doing right things. Keep going. And then the other flip side is maybe we are supposed to be a Barnabas to somebody else. And are, and are we so caught up in what we need for our own lives that we lose sight of what God wants to do with us and allow us to be a Barnabas for somebody else? You know, uh, recently, you know, there's some, 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 some young kids that are my daughter's age in our neighborhood and, and they need some godly counsel and encouragement. And, you know, my first instinct is to protect my home and get out of here. Honestly, that's my first instinct, okay? But the other day, I find myself sitting on the porch with somebody that's somebody down the street, young, guy, young, young person, and talking with them about stuff and sharing about the Lord with them. And, and then my neighbor who's a believer comes over. I'm like, hey, come over, and we start talking about these serious issues in his life. It wasn't convenient for me. I was trying to write this thing. Honestly, but if we're so stuck in what we need to do and we miss the opportunity of the people around us, then what good is it? And so we were able to talk some real stuff and then pray for this guy. And then he went off and helped my neighbor. But yet I always have this, you know, this, this daddy like protect my home thing, which is good. I'm glad I'm that way. And I even mentioned that to this young person. Like, well, yeah, you need to be that way, you know? But the reason why I say that is like, we need to be sensitive to what, to other people around us. And, and so think about it. Barnabas, he was a disciple. All of his disciple friends, they didn't want Saul around at all because of who he was. But God gave Barnabas this insight, this encouragement, this this. this the Lord orchestrated this whole situation, okay? Because Saul is extremely instrumental in bringing us the, 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 towards the, the majority of the, the New Testament to us. And, and after we get past Acts 9 and 10, we'll see, we'll see a little bit of Peter and then the rest of Acts is about Saul's life, Paul's life. And it's so instrumental to see how the Lord, even in the middle, I, I can't imagine what, what Saul must have felt like. I mean, just because we're a Christian and a believer doesn't mean our emotions go away. It doesn't mean our mind goes away. It doesn't mean we become drones. Yes, Lord, whatever you want to do. Our human nature doesn't get discounted by God. Jesus had feelings. Jesus had, you know, things that he went on. I mean, he wept over Lazarus. 
before the ark was built, God was sorrowful that he ever created mankind in Genesis. So we know that there's this component that God has about relationships and emotions and thinking and those things. And so let's not discount those things. And so God understands us. We'll get into that as well in this message. So we see this person who used to be the persecutor now he's persecuted and hunted. And he needed this fellowship to encourage him. And God sent Barnabas to him to encourage the other believers to say, hey, look, I really believe this testimony of this man. Who he used to be is not who he is now. Our testimony as we give our lives over to the Lord, what comes out of us should be a difference than what we used to be. So Barnabas assisted Saul, came alongside of him to show that he was transformed and he was no longer Saul the destroyer. Like I'd mentioned, maybe you're a Barnabas to somebody, an encourager in the Lord, or maybe you need a friend to encourage you in the Lord. The body of Christ is to be those things. May we not be so selfish that we lose sight of those types of opportunities. See, we see this beautiful picture here. Even Saul, his horrible spotted past, and God sent him a person to advocate for him. Maybe this is a stretch out of this context, but as I was writing this, I thought about, isn't this like Jesus Christ in our lives? He's our advocate. He's our comforter. He's our strength. When he steps in and helps us, there is great victory. Then he sends people our way to encourage us as well. Amen. I'm so glad for that. You know, as I was a, a young adult and, you know, I came to know the Lord at a young age and, and, and I, had the, 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 I was the, the, I had the spotted background as a believer, you know. I, it took me forever to figure out that I needed to just die to myself and quit doing the things that I thought were right for me and get right with God. A lot, a lot of hard roads for me that I made myself. And even, I want to encourage you guys that even when we are in the middle of sin, God can send people our way to pull us out. I was in my 20s and... I used to smoke pot all the time. And I was out at a park around the corner from my parents' house where I was still living. And I was high. And, you know, this was the park that you'd go party at. I'm sure you guys grew up maybe knew of some places, you know, where everybody would go. And, and I was totally high by myself. That's what I do. Didn't matter if I was by myself with somebody else. I just, that was my M.O., and the Lord was in me. God's word says that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. When a believer comes to know Jesus Christ, there was something that happened on the cross that is an eternal thing. And you cannot snatch yourself out of God's hands because if you could, then you were God. And I don't believe in that. So even as Christians, we can make decisions that cause our lives to be dark and under oppression and control of things that aren't godly. And so that was my thing. 
And there was a lot of dynamics went into that because of my childhood and things I experienced and, and just, there was just a whole gamut of things. And, but it was, you know, it was my choice to go do those things. And so I was in this habitual habit of doing this. And, and uh, so here I was at night, totally high, and these dudes were over at this park bench playing a guitar. And I thought, well, that's weird. It was night. Why are they out here? They walk over to me and they start talking with me. And, you know, if you really have Jesus in you, and even if you're under the influence, guess what? You're going to talk about Jesus. He'll get the glory out of our life, even if we're a horrible mess. Doesn't mean we're going to be a good witness for him. So here these Christian men come up who are playing guitar and they were talking to me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. It is. I don't think they saw me smoking any pot, but they might have. I don't know. And you're like, Brian, get to the point. What does this have to do with this sermon? So these two guys come up and they start talking to me and they tell me that there's demons around my life. They see them. And they lay hands on me and they pray over me. And they were instrumental in my life having this season of godliness. But God knew that I was prideful and I, you know, made poor choices about half a year later, a year later. Isn't that how we go? We go up and down sometimes until we really give God, here, Lord, I, I don't want to do these things anymore. But a person that prayed for me, he's, he, was, he turned into my best friend. Yep. He's a pastor now. I texted him yesterday. Sorry, it's emotional for me because when I, knowing the Lord was not serving God, that God used somebody to encourage me in spite of me. And it was instrumental in my life. And his name's Jesse Haney, and he's a pastor now of another church. And, and we were roommates, and, and um, you know, I was texting him last night. I said, hey, thanks for being my Barnabas. And I go, I never thought you and I would be pastors. You know? And um, he just accredited like God's grace in our life to use the weak things to glorify him. On the, and I'll never forget that night. And it just, I, as I was writing, you know, I don't sit there and dwell on that. But as I was writing this, I thought about that. I thought about these guys who were just walking with the Lord. They were just wanting to serve God. They they were at this park at this time, and so that's how our lives are. When we're, when we're in step with the Spirit, we'll find ourselves somewhere where someone needs to be encouraged. Amen. And so Saul had Barnabas in a very intense situation in his life. So don't discount God using you the way Barnabas was used. So verse 28 in Acts chapter 9. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. It's important to know that after Barnabas had presented Saul's case to the disciples, that they accepted him. They, they, there was freedom now. And, and we see that um, he was with them. In other words, community he was with them at Jerusalem. He was no longer on the outside. He was coming in and going out. And that's the, also in our lives as Christians, there's freedom in the body of Christ. There isn't condom, There should never be condemnation in the church, okay? 
You know, my son and I were driving here and I love it. You know, he, he, he asked me, I said, dad, can I go with you? He wants to go with me and help. You know, the one, the little redhead who was playing Cajon. That's his third time playing that thing. And so he's like, there's these couple of moments where he just starts wanting to talk to me about really scary things for him to talk to me about. And I told him, hey, you can say anything you want to me. I'll, I'll never, I'm safe, you know. And so that should be how the church is. The church should be safe. Are we all messed up? Yeah. Are we all sinners? Do we make mistakes? Yeah, but a lot of us, you know, we, we may get hurt in a different place or we may get hurt in another church and then we write off church. Don't do that. Saul could have done that. He could have said, forget you guys. Don't you know that I was with Jesus himself? Who do you think you are? I'm the called man by God to go give the word out to the Gentiles. How dare you discount me and send me away and not like me and not love me? But he didn't do that. He was moldable in the hands of the Lord. And, and Barnabas, God used Barnabas. And, and so it's just, man, it's just an amazing thing that we see here. I want you guys to see the nuances of the relationships that the Lord was working the Lord was working positiveness and relationships that were going to be used for God in the midst of hurt, in the midst of frustration, in the midst, in the midst of discouragement. God doesn't always take our discouragement away, but in the middle of our trials, he's going to show up and walk with us through them. When we say that he's not is when we actually maybe don't even have a working relationship with Jesus and maybe we just don't trust him to be God in our lives then we need to confess doubt. Acts chapter 9, 9 verse 29. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord. So this is again, it's speaking about what happened now with Saul. So he walked in and out. He had this freedom and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. What? Wait a minute. Is there three times here now in less than 10 verses that Saul's life was at stake? for serving Jesus? So obviously this guy was a marked man. People hated him. It's, it's important for us to know that these Hellenists, a Hellenist was a Greek-speaking Jew. And most likely, these were folks that were with Saul before his conversion. Most likely, these were people that were with Saul that took part in the trial and death of Stephen. And so here comes Saul boldly speaking in the name of the Lord Jesus and he starts disputing with the Hellenists. Well, if you remember what went on with Stephen and how he was preaching Jesus and how he was opposing the religious leaders at the time, the, the Hellenists, they, they hated what he was saying and they did away with him. And so now Saul comes in and, and this, what is it? It's called a turncoat. It's an old statement. You used to serve with us. Now you're serving the enemy. So we want to kill you. We want to get rid of you. And so Saul was, was, was most likely taking up the mantle that Stephen had left. Go back to Acts chapter six. It's where we read about that, about Stephen's death. So Saul spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. He was disputing the stance that the Hellenists took, feeling obligated to take this mantle of Stephen, this, this proclamation of the Lord, this proclamation of Jesus. When Jesus captures us and he starts working in 
to our lives eternity, and eternity becomes greater than our temporal place in life, all of a sudden we start doing things for the Lord that are contrary and in the face of things physically in front of us. And so are we as Christians able to stand for the truth of Jesus in the midst of persecution or in the midst of dispute? And I love this. this it's, it's, it's just crazy. It's like, it's, like, it's like Saul just picked up where Stephen left off. But the Hellenists were not about to permit this kind of witness, and so they plotted to kill Saul. So verse 30 says this, when the brethren found out, the brethren being the believers, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Well, there's this interesting snapshot in Acts chapter 22, verse 17 through 21 that talks about what happened and what went on with Saul in Jerusalem and how the Lord directed him to leave. So Acts chapter 22, verse 17 through 21 reads this. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, being Jesus, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Verse 19 of Acts 22. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr, Stephen, was shed, I was standing by consenting to this, to consenting to this death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, this is Jesus speaking to Saul as he was praying, depart for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So it's fascinating that we see this ministry with Paul and Jesus. And, and man, I, I cannot stress, you know, in our lives, like we, we get this separation that God doesn't talk anymore and that he doesn't interact with us. And let me tell you today that if we spend time letting the Lord wash over us and rewire our mind and take time to stop and get to a place where we can hear the Lord, the Lord's gonna minister to us and direct us and direct our lives. But yet I think sometimes we're so caught up in doing. I want to do it myself, you know? I don't feel good unless I'm doing this or doing that or, or putting this out there. And yet how many times, I mean, are we really wired to stop and give the Lord room in our lives to speak to us? And I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to be in a trance and that this intense thing's going to happen, but it, just the, the attitude that, that, that Paul had, obviously it's 22, 22 chapters into Acts, you know, he, but he was still, he was, he's giving testimony in Acts 22 of what went on in this section of Acts chapter nine, okay? And so we see this snapshot and it's fascinating how the Lord says, make haste and get out. God wants to protect us. The Lord protects us. The Lord wants to take care of our lives and the Lord knew what was gonna happen with Saul and he wanted him to get out. And Saul starts talking to him about, well, how am I going to, basically, it's like, how am I going to go anywhere? I did all these things. Isn't it amazing that even when we start humanizing how God works in our lives and the circumstances in our lives, that 
He can take that and he still directs us in our lives. Jesus didn't say, well, yeah, that's true. Okay, I don't know where you're going to go. No, he didn't. This word trance, I thought it was kind of interesting. I looked up a couple of <clears throat> different translations, New Living Translation, ESV, NIV, and it's, it's all, it, it, all the scribes use the word trance. I thought, well, what does that mean? He's just, oh, you know. <clears throat> I, always, I have a negative connotation in my mind about it. I don't know. But it just means extreme amazement. Paul was in a, a stance, a place of extreme amazement in his prayer time with God. So, like I mentioned, in a way, he was telling the Lord, you know, where, where in the world can I go? The believers know what I've done. Note that Saul made mention about Stephen. I always want to say Stephen, but about Stephen's martyr, that he accounted it as Jesus' martyr. Stephen was Jesus' martyr. Stephen's death was not in vain. Anything negative in our life we can think isn't accounted for much, but the Lord can make all things come together for good. For those who love him, who called according to his purpose. It's something special the Lord does with those who are committed to him. Note that the Lord told Saul to get out quickly. See, Saul's calling wasn't to minister to the Jews. His, his calling, his ministry was to the Gentiles. And the Lord was basically saying, you need to get out and go. You need to go, go do this. The fact that the disciples listened to Saul's testimony about his vision. Remember, I'm, the Lord gave us insight to expound upon what happened in verse 30 of Acts 9 through Acts 22, verse 17 through 21. I love this about God's word, that it's precept upon precept, that the word speaks about the word speaking about itself, and we don't take something from the outside and make up something that's not. So God's word confirms itself. That's why we can rely upon the word of God because it's truthful and it doesn't contradict. And so it's amazing we see this, this fact that the disciples we see here back in Acts chapter nine, verse 30, when the brethren found out, so the brethren found out about what was going on with Saul, that the Hellenists wanted to kill him and Saul had already gone in prayer and this thing had happened with him and the Lord that they brought him down to Caesarea and they sent him out to Tarsus to where he came from. An amazing thing, how the Lord orchestrated all these pieces in Saul's life, even while people wanted to get rid of him. How great is our God? If God can do this to a murderer of Christians, how much greater can he do it to our lives? I don't think any of us are that in this room, and I don't need to know if that's the case, but I mean literally, but how, how great is God? How great is he in our lives? Do we give him the preeminent place? with our things, with our children, with our wantings, with our desires, with our relationships. It's and and it's, none of this is easy. I don't think what this man in the Bible experienced was simple or easy at all. But we see this amazing account of how God carried him, not only just with Barnabas, but the Lord himself ministered to him while he was in prayer about what needed to happen in his life. Such a neat snapshot, man, of, of this little section of Saul that, so verse 31, then the churches throughout all Judea, uh, we're back in Acts 9. So the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. One thing I want to note here is that when it says fear of the Lord, it's not like, oh, you're going to hurt me. It's a reverence fear in the presence of your king. The reverence that you, that he is greater. It's not a fearful reverence of like, I mean, it's not a fear of like hurt. It's not a negative connotation. The Lord is full of grace and mercy and love. In fact, God's word says that God is love. He's the definition of love. He's the definition of life. He is the sustainer of life. He is life itself. So when you see this in scripture that they feared the Lord, you have to understand and take into account the character of God is actually written into that and they understood this about him. And so there was a, a, a reverence there. I just want to touch on that. But I love how uh, commentator Warren Wearsby comments on this last, this place in scripture, this last piece, this verse 31, he says this, it was a time of peace, quote unquote, for the churches. Notice here in verse 31, it says the churches as a whole. Peace for the churches, but not a time of complacency. How many of us in America, we used to go to church and we see the band and we see the lights and we get the food and we go to the events and we get the experience and then we put it on Facebook and all we're doing is blah, 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 blah. And there's actually no spiritual growth. Peace, man, we need peace in America. You know, we gotta have everything. No, they, they, they experience this peace within the church. I want you to take, and, 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 and so, so Warren Wiersbe says this, they, they, they experienced peace, not a time of complacency, for they grew both spiritually and numerically. They seized the opportunity to repair and strengthen, and he used the word sales, their sales, before the next storm began to blow. The door of faith had been opened to the Jews, Acts 2, in Acts 2. That happened. And to Samaritans, which was in Acts 8. We read these. And soon it would be open to the Gentiles, which we'll see in Acts 10. And Saul has moved off the scene, so we're not going to see Saul on the next Sunday that we speak through this section of Scripture. Peter now returns to the scene. And soon Peter will move off the scene, except for brief mention in Acts chapter 15. And Paul will fill the pages of the book of Acts. See, God changes his workmen, but his work goes on. And you and I are privileged to be a part of that work today. God has called all of us to be a part of his work, no matter how great or small. See, the son of God, Jesus Christ, he left his royal place in heaven he became human flesh. He left the glory of heaven coming to earth, taking on the humble place of a servant and being rejected by those that he himself created, rejected even unto death on a cross. Jesus Christ suffered and died for us so that we would not have to suffer for eternity. This is what Saul wrote about. This is what Saul's passion was. Saul was sold out. And in the midst of our trials, he is there for us and he understands us. Listen, folks, God understands you. He understands us. I'm speaking to myself because I have a hard time sometimes thinking that God understands the silliness of me 
in what I deal with in my own mind and my own attitude. But we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. <clears throat> if you could write this scripture down, it's super important because this is a snapshot of what actually we get, not only through the salvation that Jesus gives us, but what we get in him understanding us. See, it's one thing to get saved from hell, right? So I'm not, well, I mean, we all are dying once we're born. Yes, there's a second law of thermodynamics. Everything that starts has an end, but I'm not, that's not happening right now. I'm not dying right now. So when we come to know the Lord, we make a profession of Jesus Christ being our Lord and Savior that we wanna get set free. We don't wanna be, we wanna get set free from hell. We wanna get set free from the bondage of sin. We recognize that that only comes through the power of, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We believe that he's Lord. We, we, we give him our life. We become a Christian and we get baptized and we start walking with him. Well, okay, so you set me free from something that's gonna happen 70 years from now. What good are you now? I don't see heaven. I don't have this supernatural thing with you. I don't know what's going on. Yay, I'm set free, but what good are you in my life and how does that apply to my life? And we see here in Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 through 16, and this is the same attitude that Paul had about the Lord and that Barnabas had about the Lord. They knew who God was. They knew, they knew that they knew that they knew that Jesus understood them. Hebrews four, verse 14 through 16 says this, seeing then that we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So he passed through the heavens, he came from heaven. For we do not have a high priest who cannot, listen you guys, who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So in other words, the scripture is saying that no matter what you're experiencing, Jesus Christ himself came from heaven, walked on this earth, and absolutely 100% understands. We need to look at this and go, wow, Lord, thank you for understanding me. We have to get past this super duper thing about God being in the sky and say, man, I can grab a hold of you. You're part, you know me, you understand me, you love me, and you walk this earth, and it says that he was tempted. Was in all points tempted as we are. There's nothing made up about that. Think about something you're tempted with in your life. Jesus was tempted with it. You're like, no, 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 no. Jesus is God. Well, that's not what scripture says here. Anything in our lives that causes us to feel separate from the Lord is a lie. God wants us always to know that we're with him. I'm not saying discount sin. Yes, if we have sin in our lives, we need to get right. Yes, there's a literal thing that happens. If we're blatantly sinning and we have this line that we've drawn in the sand, we have this habitual thing going on in our lives, there will be a separation. God's word says that sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end, it's death. It can be physical death or it can be the death of our connection with the Holy Spirit and the Lord. So I'm not speaking about that, but what I'm speaking about is that there's this, this closeness that the Lord has given us, that we need, there's this tangible relationship that we had, and these people in the Bible that we're reading about understood that. And God gives us that word so that we can see and go, okay, cool. You know me, Lord, thank you. He knows us and he loves us the same, in spite of us. Verse 16, this is so imperative for us. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How many of us have times of need? I do. 
Every day I wake up, I need the Lord. But think about this. Look at the nuances of the words that are used here that the Holy Spirit allowed the writer of Hebrews to put down. Let us therefore, in other words, let us do this. Let us come, oh, dangerously. Oh, I don't know what to do. It says come boldly. How many of you guys, if, if, something, was, if something was on fire outside, would you walk through that door all daintily and quietly? You would run through that door. You would go figure out what's going on and you would take your life and you would get to a place to help somebody. And so that's the attitude that it's saying. We need to go boldly before the Lord. Why? Because of what he's done, because of who he is, because he understands us. And scripture's saying, don't let anything get in the way of that. Absolutely. And what kind of throne does he have? Most kings in that day and age, the throne that it would be would be a throne of scepter, right? Anytime you walk into the king's throne room, if you spoke one word without him saying that you could speak, he could cut your head off. But the throne room of God is grace, unmerited favor. So he has unmerited favor for us to come boldly before him that we may what? Get mercy. In other words, we may get what we don't deserve. And that we can find grace. So it's something that we need to have and obtain and look for. It's an active statement in the time of need. And I believe this is what was going on in Saul's life. We see this activity of the Lord working in his life and Barnabas working in his life in the midst of horrible situation and such encouragement of what happened. And even when people were like, hey, you used to be this destroyer. And, and yet Barnabas comes in and gives us this great testimony of Saul. And if Jesus understands Saul, I think he understands us. And scripture says that he understands us here in Hebrews. And again, even in, adding on to that in our lives, the Holy Spirit will empower us to walk with us. I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit will empower us and walk with us. We see in John 14, verse 16 through 18, and this is Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit in our lives and that Christ himself will not leave us as orphans. John 14, 16 through 18 says this, and I excuse me, will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Helper, parakletos, comforter. It, the Holy Spirit, literally his job is to help believers in their life. And we see that that's what happened in Saul's life when he was praying. I love this. Continue in John 14, verse 16, it says this, that he may abide with you forever. So there's something that happens with us. The Holy Spirit abides, it lives with us, takes part in our life. Verse 17, the spirit of truth. He's a spirit of truth. He's not a liar whom the world cannot receive. Now, this is really important, you guys. The world, unless somebody has the Jesus inside him, the Holy Spirit living inside him, I mince those words. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The triunity of God. God is all one and three, but yet they're all separate persons. And the Holy Spirit is a separate person of the Godhead. But the world cannot receive him because the world neither sees him nor knows him but you know him. And Jesus is saying this to the disciples, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then I love this. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is coming. This is the same Jesus that ministered to Saul. The same Jesus that is here today. The same Jesus that wants us to rely upon him through prayer like we see in Hebrews, to be real with him like we saw in Psalms and, and to know that he has saved this helper for us as believers and given the Holy Spirit to us. What a magnificent thing God has given us. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit given to us by God, told to us by Jesus in scripture. And God can even bring to us Barnabases to encourage us or give us opportunity to be a Barnabas for others. 
May I ask you this, would you like to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today if you don't have a relationship with him? Today's the day for salvation. We don't have tomorrow, whether you're online and, and you're listening and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, today's the day for salvation. You can text, I wanna know the Lord in our live stream. Maybe today you don't know the Lord and you can come talk to me or my wife, Gina, afterwards, you know? And we can pray with you and start the amazing journey that God has for your life. Such an amazing thing. It's the most amazing thing that you will ever decide to do in your life. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you so much, God, for just this amazing account of Saul, Lord, and how he had such opposition and, and, and even just the, the disciples were looking at how his past was and Man, Lord, your grace just is so covering just the beginning of this man's life, Lord, in you. Lord, thank you for Hebrews and how we're reminded that you walk this earth and that you experience what we experience and yet we, it gives us the opportunity to go boldly before you, Lord, with confidence, knowing that you understand us and you don't hold our own nature against us because you knew that we would be sinners, Lord, that are in need of a savior. Lord, we need you, Jesus. We need you so much. Lord, in this day and age when so many things are uncertain, we thank you that your word is certain. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being a part of our lives as believers. I pray that we wouldn't walk in disobedience to you, Lord. Just thank you, Lord. Pray for the kids, Lord, that you would capture their hearts and minds, Lord. Thank you for our families, and I just lift up those that might be in our families, Lord, that don't know you. I pray that you would radically change them. Lord, thank you for my friend Jesse, and many years ago, Lord, how he came and talked with me. Thank you how you send people to seek us out, and you remind us all the time, I'm here. I love you. Lord, I pray that we would just allow you to be lover of our life, Lord, the lover of our soul. Will you help us with our attitudes and our intentions? Thank you so much, God, for who you are. I pray that you bless this group of people here, Lord. Help us, Lord. Just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.